You're listening to an audio sermon from Redemption Church in Olds, Alberta. It is our prayer that through this ministry, we will see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, or to let us know how we can be praying for you, visit us online at www.redemptionolds.com or send us an email at info at redemptionolds.com. In light of um, what's happening with Pastor John, uh, for those of you who don't know me, uh, I'm a seminary student and a member of Redemption Church in Calgary North, and I also help with uh, biblical counseling there. I'm married to my wife, uh, Becky, and we have two daughters, Zoe and Abigail. Uh, If you're New here, obviously you've heard uh, about the uh, medical emergency that Pastor John had to um, go to the hospital this morning. So please continue to be in prayer for him throughout the day. And uh, today I've uh, prepared for you a message from Psalm 42. Psalm 42 deals specifically with depression. And as the poet once said, quote, If there is a hell upon earth, it is to be found in a depressed and hopeless heart, end quote. That is a heart that is empty and all its desires are completely dried up. For those of you who have experienced that, just like I have in the past, know exactly what I'm talking about. It's a type of depression and hopelessness that involves a complete absence of feelings, interests, and passions. It is a deep void within yourself, a pain that feels like meaningless pain. Now, how many of us have at times or even right now are experiencing this type of depression? even though we claim to find our hope in Christ. Maybe you're finding doubts about your walk with Christ, or you're not sure that God is present in your life, or that He even exists. Everything around you and inside of you seems to be falling apart. Your relationship with your family and with your friends is a complete mess. No one seems to understand what you are going through. And to make matters worse, you hear many voices around you telling you to give up on your faith. To do what you please. Your own self is questioning you constantly and tempting you to sin in many ways. You don't understand and you cannot explain what is going on inside of your own mind. And you're asking yourself, why Am I feeling this way? I have been a Christian for years. You tell yourself, I should be happier by now. And so, you're overwhelmed and terrified by your own thoughts. You're terrified to make a wrong decision. To fail, to be exposed, to lose a loved one. You're terrified to be abandoned and to be alone. To not have control of your circumstances. You're absolutely terrified to be diagnosed with a disabling disease. And you are terrified to die. It is a constant and never-ending roller coaster of thoughts and emotions. Leaving you spiritually depressed and hopeless. Physical pain You can endure, you can tolerate that. But this type of pain inside of your own mind that leads to nothingness is absolutely terrifying. Being alone with your thoughts is scary. And all this is impacting you spiritually, mentally, and physically. You can't sleep at night. You can't focus during the day. You have no appetite and no desires. 
we have become completely numb. And it seems like there is no light at the end of the tunnel. Now for those of you who may not have experienced depression to this degree, you can relate to experiencing disappointments. Maybe you've lost a loved one because of death or because of a divorce. You've lost your favorite job because of sickness or layoffs. Maybe you've lost your youthful strength. But hear me out. Disappointments, if they are left unchecked, can and often do lead to depression. In our text today, we have a great example recorded for us on the internal and external struggles of a man of God and how he deals with his own troubled soul. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one from the pews in front of you. And if you have one, let's open the Word of God to Psalm 42. Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with a throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. With loud shouts and songs of praise and multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night his song is with me a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why? Are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Now to give us a little bit of a context here, Psalm 42 is a song. It is a song of lament, a passionate expression of deep sorrow. Now, it was either written by the sons of Korah, which are descendants from the Jewish priestly tribe of Levi, who are also singers and gatekeepers at the temple in Jerusalem, or it was most likely written by King David. Now, the setting of the psalm is when King David was running for his life from his son Absalom. He was being pursued, and he still wanted to kill him. And as a result, King David was unable to go back to Jerusalem and worship at the temple. But Psalm 42 is a spiritual roadmap on how to deal with our own selves. So I've titled the sermon, Counseling the Troubled Soul. And the main idea is that a depressed soul can only be healed and comforted through a redeemed soul in Jesus Christ. So today we're going to learn that depression comes from within our own thoughts and from our external circumstances. We're also going to learn how to respond to depression by looking to God who gives us hope and peace in time of need. But uh, before we get into it, let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are sovereign and Lord, that you are in control of our lives Lord, I thank you that you have given us your spirit and your words to guide us in this troubled and difficult life. Please help those who are listening today, Lord, and are struggling with depression or are just questioning what's going on with their circumstances. Help them to be strengthened and to see the hope that you have 
for them in Christ. And if, they, if there's anyone, Lord, that is not your child and is listening to this, please, Lord, please open their hearts. Help them to believe. Help them to repent of their sins and to find hope and joy in the gospel. And Lord, I need your help. Help me to preach, Lord. Uh, please remove me from being a distraction to your word and work in the hearts and minds of your people. And I can only ask all this through you, Jesus. Amen. All right, I have two points for us. The source of depression and the source of hope. The source of depression comes from inside of us. Verses 1 to 3. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. The psalm opens with an imagery intended to invoke intense emotion. The picture here is of a deer that is so thirsty. But not only for a few sips of water, it is a deer that is intensely longing to drink plenty of water from a large river which it cannot find. It is a deer that is in the middle of a dry desert and it is about to die because of thirst. In the same way, uh, the psalmist is experiencing a spiritual thirst, a, a longing for God. And his desire to be with God is so intense that he must have God or die. And this is why he asks the question of when he will appear before God. Because he knows that the only way to satisfy his spiritual thirst, for the vigor, for the joy to return to his spirit, is only found in the presence and communion with God. To him... The desire to be with God is an instinct to his soul, just like an animal's instinct needs water when it is thirsty. God is not a second thought to the psalmist. Spurgeon puts it this way, quote, The divine presence is not a luxury, but a necessity to his existence. End quote. You see, the psalmist is in agony within himself. He's in turmoil and he's deeply troubled because he feels like and tells himself that God has essentially abandoned him. I mean, he loves God with all his soul, with all his mind and with all his strength. And he, he needs God now. He wants him now. And his spiritual anguish has affected him so deeply that he cannot eat anything but his tears day and night as he waits for God. Now some of you are thinking to yourselves, this is describing me how I feel today. And for others, you can relate to this anguish because you have been in the psalmist's shoes. And there's some of you who are looking at your circumstances and you feel like that this trial is just around the corner, about to come at you full force. And just like the psalmist, you're having an internal conversation with your own self about your relationship with God and your circumstances. You long for God, but yourself is telling you that God is far away from you or that you are far away from God. And all this is causing you to be spiritually depressed and in anguish over your walk with Christ. You doubt the presence of Christ and the foundation of your faith. So in the first step of counseling your troubled soul, you must remember that we as Christians fight three enemies. The world the devil, and the flesh. And we often overlook the flesh. And your flesh is constantly fighting with you and is talking to you. Listen to what Paul Tripp, a biblical counselor and pastor, has to say about yourself talking to you. Quote, 
I find myself saying it all the time. When people hear it, they laugh. But actually, I'm being quite serious when I say it. Here it is. No one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do. You are in an unending conversation with yourself. You're talking to yourself all the time, interpreting, organizing, and analyzing what's going on inside of you and around you. You may be talking to yourself about why you feel so tired. Or maybe you woke up this morning with a sense of dread and you're not sure why. Maybe your mind has traveled back to your distant past and for reasons you don't understand, you're recalling events from your early childhood. The point is that you're constantly involved in an internal conversation. The greatly influences the things you decide, say, and do. What do you regularly tell yourself about yourself, about God and your circumstances? Do your words to yourself encourage faith and hope and courage? Or do they stimulate doubt, discouragement, and fear? Do you remind yourself that God is near? Or do you reason within yourself that given your circumstances, He must be distant? Here's the question. How wholesome, faith-driven, and Christ-centered is the conversation that you have with yourself every day? Do you remind yourself of your need? Do you point yourself once again to the beauty and practicality of God's grace? Do you tell yourself to run toward Him in those moments when you feel like running from Him? No one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do. End quote. And we can see this internal two-way conversation continue to take place in the psalmist as he attempts to counsel himself in verse 4. He says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng with the crowd of people and lead them in procession to the house of God. With glad shouts and songs of praise in multitude keeping festival." Here, the psalmist is literally pouring out his tears. He's crying to himself. And the only thoughts that are left to comfort him in his depression, in his hopelessness, is remembering how he used to worship God. But as Persian puts it again, quote, painful reflections were awakened by the memories of past joys. Painful Reflections were awakened by the memory of past joys. The thought of being in the heights of worshiping God and now being in the valleys of despair bring agony to the psalmist. And he's emptying his own thoughts, his feelings, his entire soul within himself. He's crying out to himself instead of crying out to the Lord, which is completely useless. You see, he's relying on his own strength to overcome his own self. And so he feels defeated as he confirms what his own self was telling him all along. That God is far away from him because he's unable to worship him like he used to because of his circumstances. Now, if you have been a Christian for more than six months, you have experienced when the flame goes away, when the thrill is gone. I know some of you may be struggling with finding motivation to pray. Maybe this morning was just hard to sing these words. It's hard to read your Bible. You don't want to do it. It's hard to find passion for the Lord. It seems like you're just going through the motions. You're checking off a list. And you remember how you used to be on fire for the Lord. And these thoughts are like an alcohol wipe on an open wound. 
it hurts and it leads you to question your own walk with Christ. Or maybe you have just become completely indifferent to the promises of God and to the gospel. Now it's good to remind ourselves of how we used to be passionate for the Lord. It is good. But we must not rely on our own strength and our own thoughts to bring us back to the passionate worship. You see, a troubled soul left to itself can only see the worst in all situations. But I also want to encourage you. I want you to know that if you're going through this depression and this hopelessness, you're not alone. There are giants of the faith like Charles Spurgeon, Martin Luther, uh, Jonathan Edwards, and many more. They have struggled with spiritual depression throughout their lives. I mean, these guys knew the Bible like the back of their hands. They preached it to people. They lived it out. But yet, they had to counsel themselves biblically regularly. And for most struggling with depression, with disappointments, it's not a one-time fix. It is a constant battle. And so we need to learn how to talk to our own selves biblically. We must remember what the Bible says about our own selves. Jeremiah 17.9 tells you the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Instead, we're told in Proverbs 3.5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. The point is that your own thoughts and your own feelings, they come from Within your mind, from within yourselves, are lousy leaders. They will lie to you. They may lead you to the cause of your depression. They may show you why you're sad. But that's about it. They cannot offer you a solution and bring you true hope and true joy. But also, remember this, that feelings and thoughts will also point to your external circumstances to keep you depressed and hopeless. And we see in our text that the source of depression comes also from outside of us. In verse 6, the psalmist is still struggling as he writes, My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mazar. The psalmist's soul is in despair because of his thoughts and circumstances. You see, the conversation within himself, the conversation with himself has left him feeling worse off. But in his despair, he knows that God is not literally absent. Because he now turns to him and says, I remember you. But the psalmist is remembering God and his mighty works while he's away from the temple of worship. The picture here is of the psalmist looking back in the far distance and seeing but a glimmer of the temple. As he remembers how he used to commune with God there but cannot go back because he is prevented. And so in his despair... He has not abandoned his faith in God. Instead of looking within himself in his past spiritual good old days, he looks to God and remembers him. The psalmist begins to talk to God instead of himself. And tells God about his agony, about his pain. And in this conversation with God, he says in verse 7, deep Calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. The psalmist uses the word deep to refer to a deep ocean. He's like a log in the middle of a storm that keeps battering him from all sides and sending him underwater. And the trials... Keep coming one after another just like waves. And not like any waves, but like these big waves and the tip of these big waves just smashing into the ocean. It hurts. It is intense. It is constant. 
And it is both predictable and unpredictable with no end in sight. The psalmist is essentially saying, Lord, my soul is in despair. My own self is telling me you are far away from me. And I cannot answer myself and find hope within. But I know that it is your breakers, it is your waves that have come over me. Lord, you are bringing these trials into my life. I know you're present, but maybe... You have abandoned me in your judgment. Maybe his own self is not lying after all. Maybe God has abandoned him. And in the same way, you're drowning in your trials today. You may be telling yourself that by now you should have been married. And instead you're not and you're feeling very lonely. Or your marriage should have been repaired. Or you're married, you have a family, but for some reason you feel completely alone. These people in your house are just like strangers. No one understands you. You should have overcome that sin you were dealing with. But it just keeps creeping up and condemnation weighs heavy on you. You turn on the, the TV and there's war. There's division in our own country. And then you look to the church, there's division in the church. Your fears of your future are crippling you with anxiety. And they're leaving you to doubt if God will truly provide. Is God going to come through? You're going through a difficult time. Loved ones are suffering. Is God going to bring healing? Is God going to help? Where is God? And you know that God is allowing these trials. But you don't understand why. And like the psalmist, you feel completely abandoned in your circumstances. And to make matters worse, you can't find comfort in God like you used to. In yourself... And all those around you, they're mocking you by saying, where is your God? Look around, where is he? And the psalmist, the psalmist is going through the same situation, verses 9 and 10. He writes, I say to, my, to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? The psalmist acknowledges God as his rock. He remembers how God delivered him in the past. He knows very well that God is his rock and he can take refuge in him and God is his shield and the horn of his salvation. God is his stronghold. I mean, he has experienced that firsthand. Then why does he feel forgotten by God? It's because he's listening to himself that God has forgotten him instead of listening to the promises of God. And then, to make matters worse, he's also listening to those around him. Who are mocking him by saying that God has indeed abandoned him. The Bible commentator puts it this way, quote, The psalmist is like a dying man and his God of the rock is silent. His whole being is distressed by his enemies and by God's silence. End quote. Now I believe it is... Fine. It is a good thing to be honest with God. Ask Him in prayer about your trial and about your depression, about your hopelessness. And pour out your tears to Him just like a child would to his parent. But you must not let go of your faith in God. He must still be your rock and your confidence alone. If there's one thing I want you to take away from this today, 
Never, please never listen to your own self and to those around you to abandon your desire and interest for the Lord. Trust in God at all times. And remember that the first step in counseling your troubled soul is to know that your own self will lie to you. The second step is to understand that you will face opposition. You will face opposition from many sides in addition to having to deal with your own self. Secular culture or your non-Christian friends might tell you something like this. If God loves you and he's in your life, then why are you lonely? The man or woman you like, yeah, they're not a Christian, but they like you and you like them. You want to stop being lonely? Well, go with them. But you know that this is wrong. You know you will sin against God and that you are unequally yoked. Or how about this? Why on earth are you fighting for your marriage? Your spouse cheated on you. Or your spouse may be living with you, but there is no longer passion in your marriage. Divorce. Find somebody who truly loves you. Feel the butterflies in your stomach one more time. But you know that this is also wrong and that God hates divorce. And then there's another enemy, the devil, who's continually against you to bring temptation and to condemn you for the sin you're still struggling with. He's there to cast doubt about God's care and love for you. Does God really love you? Look at your circumstances. Is he really there? And so you listen to him and in your state of spiritual depression, your soul is cast down. And you fall into more sin and more depression. Because you listen to yourself and those around you and to the devil. And as a result, you're stuck in this free-falling black hole, not knowing how to get out of it. But thankfully, we have God's word. He shows us in here how to respond to our own selves biblically and how to find true hope and joy. Which brings us to our second point, the source of hope. The source of hope through God's character. Verses 5 and verses 11, the psalmist writes, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. The psalmist now counsels himself and answers his troubled soul. The psalmist knows the cause of his grief. He knows why he's sad. He knows that his own self, the world and the devil are deceiving him. They're lying to him in thinking that God has abandoned him because of his exile from the temple. He knows that the real cause for his depression, for his hopelessness is sheer unbelief in God. His self has forgotten God, not the other way around. And because of that, his relationship with God was not where he wanted it to be. But the psalmist knows that God's grace is the ground for unshaken hope. Remember that the psalmist was very familiar with God's truths. He used to lead people in the temple. He knows Psalm 34 verses 7 to 18. That the triune God is close to those who are broken hearted. And that he hears the cries of his people. He sees their misery and acts. He knows that God will turn his sorrow to joy regardless of his circumstances. The psalmist is preaching to himself. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he was a physician and became a pastor. He explains the tension between the flesh and the redeemed soul. Quote, have you realized that the most of your unhappiness 
in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. Take those thoughts. They come to you in the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment was this. Instead of allowing himself to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul, he asks. His soul had been depressing him and crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, why are you cast down? What business have you to be disquieted? You must turn on yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, hope in God instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God. Who God is and what God is and what God has done and what God has pledged himself to do. Then having done that and on this great note, defy yourself, defy other people and defy the devil and the whole world and say with the psalmist, hope in God for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. End of quote. To counsel yourself biblically, to counsel your troubled soul, you must know the biblical hope is waiting for God to act and placing your trust in Him. The psalmist is not saying, don't worry, be happy, everything's going to work out or tough it out. Instead, he tells himself, look to God in the same way. We regain our footing, our joy by preaching truth about God to ourselves. Psalm 38.15 reminds us, but for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. And so as you wait for God to act, you should remind yourself of His character. And one way you can do that is to look to God's sovereignty like we sang today. That God is in control of every area in your life. Memorize, recite and preach to yourself Isaiah 46, 8 to 11. Remember this. This is what scripture tells us. Remember this. Stand firm on it. Recall it to mind. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. And then after you've memorized this, you've meditated on this, go on to Romans 8.28. And we know that those who love God, all things, all things, think of the most bad situation. All things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. I want you to think of your current circumstances in this way. They're like musical notes on a musical sheet. You have your high notes and your low notes, the good times and the bad times in your life. But it is God who has orchestrated and arranged all of the notes, all of the circumstances, all the trials, all the opposition. He has done that to form a beautiful melody of your redeemed life. So you may not see how it all plays out. And some trials keep repeating themselves just like a chorus. But you hope in God's sovereignty and you praise him and you trust him that he is in control of your life. 
You have to preach that to yourself when you feel lonely, when you're sad, and when you don't understand what is going on inside of you and around you. What if, and I'm not saying this is for everyone, but what if through your loneliness, God is preparing you to experience more of Him and to depend on Him, or maybe to come alongside and help somebody else. And that could be applied not only to loneliness, but even other kinds of sufferings. And what if God uses your loneliness as a spiritual preparation so that your marriage is not an idol or any other circumstance, any other suffering, so that God is your only hope and your only thing that brings joy to you. You see, the purpose of our suffering as Christians is because God is removing our reliance on ourselves and in, and in, our, in our circumstances. He's doing that so we depend on Him. For His grace is sufficient for you and His power is made perfect in your weakness. 2 Corinthians 12.9. And remember 2 Corinthians 4.17-18 that this light momentary affliction is preparing for you an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As you look not to the things that are seen, your circumstances... But to the things that are unseen, you look to God, to Christ, eternity with Him. Why? Because the things that are seen are transient, they're passing away. All this will pass away. All this will be gone one day. But the things that are unseen, everything that's been written in the Word of God, are eternal. I want you to know too that if you have repented of your sins... And place your trust in Christ. God is the one who will sustain your soul for eternity in heaven. And He is preparing you for that today. During your suffering. He is sustaining you. And you can endure opposition from yourself, from the world, and from the devil. As you rely not on your own strength, but in God's strength. The point is you must know what the Bible says about God to biblically counsel yourself. And to tell yourself that it has no business being hopeless. You can buy a MacArthur topical Bible. It will help you to learn more about what the Bible has to say about anxiety, fear, and other topics. A good systematic theology will also help you to learn about God, God's character, His attributes, who is man, what sin is. And who Christ is. And lastly, we find hope through prayer and worship. By talking and singing to a loving God who is always present because of Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. The psalmist says in verse 8, By day the Lord commands His steadfast love, and at night His song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Remember that the psalmist was feeding on his tears day and night in verse 3. Now the psalmist reassures himself of God's daily love toward him. And he knows that because of God's love, his praise has not departed from him even at night. In his darkest moments, all seemed lost, but God's continual love comforts his troubled soul. And God's love leads him to praise and commune with God in prayer. You see... His circumstances did not change. Still looks pretty bad. But the psalmist has changed. Because he's looking to God. He sees God's love. And now he's praising him and praying to him. Do you understand and know the love of God? That's one of his characteristics. He's a loving God. Ask him in prayer to help you. Understand the love that Christ has for you. Here are some ways you can meditate on the love of God as you pray to Him and counsel your soul. God's love is displayed through Christ. In Matthew 26:38, Jesus said that His soul was very sorrowful, even to death. And in Luke 22, 44, he was in such agony as he was praying to the Father. 
that his body began to break down to the point that blood was coming out of his sweat glands. Jesus knew the trial that he was about to enter. He was about to experience the full wrath of God poured on him at the cross for the sins of those who would believe in him. And he was in such agony that even on the cross, as he was dying, as he was experiencing the wrath of God, he felt God's face turn away from him as he said, Father, why have you forsaken me? Christ experienced an agony and separation such as the psalmist could have never imagined. If you have repented of your sins, if you have believed in Christ, you will never in your entire existence experience anything close to what Christ experienced on the cross. As a matter of fact, when Christ was raised from the dead and was seated at the right hand of the Father, He gave you His Holy Spirit to dwell in you and to give you help and to give you peace that surpasses all understanding. Now, I'm not making light of your, of your trials. Please, don't, don't take me this way. But I want to encourage you to view your trials in light of Christ's suffering on your behalf. No matter what you are going through today, you will never suffer and experience separation to the point that Christ did. And you can pray to God, Hebrews 4.16. Let us draw near with confidence. To the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. Christ knows what you are going through. Each one of you here. He knows you intimately and he knows your, your pain. And he can sympathize with you. Do you believe that? There's a warning for us in scripture too. Those who have not repented of their sins and believed in Christ, if you continue hardening your hearts, you will experience the full separation of God's love and you will feel and experience all His wrath for all eternity. And if you're hearing this today, it is because God loves you and He's calling you to repent and believe in Christ, our God. Who took on the punishment and the agony that you and I deserve so that you don't have to experience separation from God. But only His unending grace and love. God is showing you His love that while you are still a sinner and hate God, Christ died for you. If you repent and believe in Him. And because of Christ, God will never forsake you. And he will raise you up to be with him after you die. This good news alone is enough for you to say, why are you cast down on my soul? And lastly, God's love for you as his child is eternal and personal. In Ephesians 1, 4 to 5, God tells us that before he created the heavens and the earth, before he created angels or anything else, he knew each one of you here by name. And he loved you. Jeremiah 31 3 reminds us that God's love for his people is an everlasting love, and he will always be faithful. Always. He knows you personally, and he knows what you are going through. And your trials and your sufferings are never wasted it's one of the benefits of being a christian romans 5 3 to 5 we rejoice in our sufferings that does not mean we just walk with a smile but even in our tears we look to god because we know that suffering produces endurance and that endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. By understanding the love of God, you will also be driven to give Him praise by singing to Him. I mean, after all, Psalm 42 was meant to be sung. 
So maybe you can find a worship album or a hymn, something that is biblically sound and put it on repeat during the day. Memorize the, the lyrics. So when you wake up in the middle of the night with anxiety and depression and fear weighing heavy on you, sing to yourself and to God and praise Him through the lyrics. And as you worship and pray, ask God to help you believe His promises. Here are some that you can pray and ask God to believe. That you will be more like Christ in the midst of your trouble. Romans 8.29. To remember that He loves you with an everlasting love. Romans 8.32. That He will never leave you or forsake you. Hebrews 13.5. And to believe that God's love and His mercy never ceases. That they are new every morning. Lamentations 3.22-23. God loves you. And you are never alone. He loves you individually. And this love is unchanging and it is not based on your spiritual performance and your circumstances. He loves you in your highs and in your lows, even when you have sinned and when you have failed, even when you have doubted, even when you're hopeless, He loves you. And that's why you can rejoice in hope, hope in Christ and His promises, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, Romans 12, 12. There is hope, amen? There is hope in dealing with your troubled soul. But remember your own thoughts and your own feelings will lie to you. And you will face opposition from the world and the devil. To counsel your soul biblically, you must respond to your own self and put to silence your opposition. And you do that by knowing God's character. And by praying and worshiping Him for the salvation that you have in Christ and for His promises. So look to Christ. Look to Christ alone for hope. And I promise you, God promises you in His word that your troubled soul will be calmed. And you will be able to endure trials that come at you full force. Let's pray.